Hello again and welcome. Welcome to this, the second in a series of podcasts in which I'm exploring and focusing on some of the more complex, different and often under-acknowledged areas and issues around bereavement grief. Listening back to that first podcast in the series, I have to say the very first podcast that I've ever done, that I sounded, or it sounded, rather too dramatic and formal at times. Almost as if I was back in my student days with the University Theatre and taking part in some Ibsen or Shakespeare play. So I'm hoping that this second podcast and future podcasts will be, or sound, a little bit more relaxed. Back in that first podcast, I was looking at the impact of secondary hurts and injuries on the bereaved and their grief. The stupid things that society says and doesn't say, and the stupid things that society does and doesn't do. In this podcast, I'm looking at something very different. Bibliotherapy for bereaved children and young people. In other words, the use of fictional books with good stories, really good human lead characters that readers can easily identify with them, and embracing the themes of death, dying, loss and grief in suitable age-appropriate ways, all coming together to help bereaved children and young people identify, understand and hopefully express their grief. My name's Neil Campbell. I've been a counsellor now for more than 26 years, and for over two decades specialising in bereavement and grief whether that's counselling, supervising bereavement counsellors, training bereavement counsellors and undertaking grief research projects. And through my quality licence from the National Awarding Body, ABC and Search Awards, delivering a unique range of Level 3 to Level 6 accredited grief awareness training courses around some of these specific areas that you'll hear about in this series of podcasts. The aim of the podcast is really quite simple. It is to offer, humbly offer, a little more knowledge and a little more awareness to those who are regularly supporting bereaved adults and bereaved children in whatever capacity. Be that as a counsellor, a therapist, a coach, grief guide, listener, a practitioner, a teacher or a pastoral lead. For my belief has always been and always will be that the more we learn, the more we know. And the more we know, the more we can empathise. And the more we can empathise, then the richer our presence. And it is that rich presence that is such a wonderful gift that we can offer the bereaved adult or young person sitting opposite us. Let me state at this juncture that for bereaved children, and I do believe this, that for bereaved children and young people, as it is for bereaved adults, that grief is lifelong. And that for bereaved children and young people, as it is for adults, that grief is unique, it's personal and it's idiosyncratic. And for bereaved children and young people, the loss in early childhood of somebody close to them will mean that they will go on to revisit their grief at significant times later in their lives. Possibly going from primary school to secondary school or secondary school to college, getting their degree at college, the gowning ceremony, Birthdays such as the 18th or 21st, engagement party, wedding, and perhaps the christening of their children. All of these will be times when they will go and revisit that grief over again. Bereaved children and young people do grieve, and they grieve as fully and as intensely as bereaved adults. 
but they do so in ways that differ from bereaved adults. And they do so in age-related ways and mediums and through age-related views and understandings and using age-related language, communication and symbolism. But because they're emotionally immature, and I don't mean that with any disrespect, because they're emotionally immature, bereaved children and young people often struggle to both understand their feelings and emotions and be able to express their grief. I want you to read three or four quotes from a book called Grief, Dying and Death by Therese Rando, a really, really good book around um, bereavement and grief and dying and loss. And in particular, there is a very, very good section there on working with bereaved children and young people. So I quote from Therese Rando's book. Most of what is true for adults in grief also hold true in age-appropriate ways for children. Like adults, children display a variety of reactions to the death of a loved one. And what is undeniable and incontrovertible is that children, even young infants, will have dramatic and long-lasting reactions to the separation from a loved one. They experience intensely painful responses that adults must understand, legitimise and help them through. And of course they go through the same types of grief as long and as intensely as their adult counterparts and have many of the same needs as adult grievers. Many of the same symptoms and issues arise caused by many of the same variables. Part of the problem around this may stem from the comparison of the child's grief to the adult model of mourning. It may well be that there needs to be a separate children's model of mourning that takes into account the child's social, developmental and emotional context." Unquote. And I think it's that last sentence that is so important for me, that takes into account the child's social, developmental and emotional context depending on the age of the bereaved child and young person. It depends on the age of the bereaved child and young person, how they understand in the different age bands about death and dying and loss and grief. So this is about helping bereaved children and young people find their metaphor for their grief, to find the appropriate medium through which they can start to understand their feelings and emotions and then be able to start to express their grief. And again, as we, I'll keep on saying in this, it's got to be through the appropriate age-related view and attitude and understanding of death, dying, grief and loss. When we talk about finding their metaphor for grief, what we mean by the metaphor is to find the appropriate medium that the bereaved child or young person can engage with in the best way possible in order to start understanding their feelings and to be able to start to express their grief. And for metaphor, as I've said, it's a medium. So what are some examples of mediums and metaphors for bereaved children and young people to engage in? Non-directive Santray play, making a memory or a feeling jar out of a jam jar and coloured chalk and salt. The reminiscing headstone exercise. Memory quilts. Memory boxes. 
grief journals, unsent letters, worry dolls or anxiety angels, hand puppets, plasticine and clay, bags and boxes of feeling and emotion stones or bags of emotion buttons, drawing and art and sketch, poetry, scrapbooks, and of course, the focus of today's podcast, bibliotherapy. All of these are examples of mediums through which bereaved children and young people can understand their feelings and emotions and be able to express their grief. And it is all about which one is appropriate to which bereaved child and young person. And of course, it really does depend on their age. The big question at this point is, what is bibliotherapy? Well, for a start off, it involves one of my great passion, books. Some of you may be horrified if you saw my study or my front room or my office. Books and books and piles of books everywhere on filing cabinets on the desk on the floor. They've been an integral part of my life since very early childhood. In those days, it was a book and a story every night at bedtime and on a Sunday afternoon, obviously first of all being read to and then hopefully me joining in. And when I went back to the family home in the northeast Scotland for the summer holidays, and of course up there with my gran, a retired head and English teacher, and my beloved Auntie Mary, the head of the local primary school, you can imagine how important books and reading were up there. Storytelling and book reading and book swapping with my cousins in our summer house at the end of the garden remain warm and treasured memories. In those days, it was Beatrix Potter stories and the original Thomas the Tank Engine books and, of course, the inimitable Winnie the Pooh books. And I suppose I could add to that the Moomin Trolls, the Finn family Moomin Troll, the Borrowers, Wind in the Willows, Toad of Toad Hole, and Enid Blyton's magical The Magic Faraway Tree. And then at the age of eight, I went off to boarding school. I usually joke at this point and say that one breakfast my parents didn't like the look of me and off I went. Uh, the truth was that my father's job was taking him all over Europe and beyond and my mother often accompanied him, so boarding school it was for the next 10 years. And looking back at those 10 years and certainly the first five, it was all about survival. And my way of survival was twofold, joining and doing, joining every hobby club going, whether that was the Airfix Model Club or the Book Club or the Drama Club or the School Choir, and doing every sport possible. But the second way of survival, and much more important, was through books. Finding a comfortable chair at the end of every day in the hall or in the house library after the regular homework class finished, and of course most of Sundays as well. It was about escaping into the world of each book travelling with and accompanying the lead characters as they move through their adventures, sharing vicariously their highs and lows, the triumphs and near disasters, and experiencing enormous feeling, their emotions and feelings. In these days, it started off by being part of Peter and Janet's gang of adolescent sleuths in Enid Blyton's The Secret Seven Stories, and then moving on to, of course, Enid Blyton's The Famous Five, Julian, Dick, George, Ann and Timmy the dog. 
And for a lot of boys after that, it was the Biggles books by Captain W.E. Johns. With Biggles, the World War I and World War II ace fighter pilot with his chums, Algie, Bertie and Ginger. But it's also the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis with Lucy and Edmund and Peter and Susan. And for somebody from North East Scotland, D.K. Broster's novel set in the Jacobite Highlands of Scotland, The Gleam in the North, The Dark Mile, The Flight of the Heron, centred around the very noble and dashing Highland chief Lochiel of Cameron. Of course, there was also The Adventures of Tintin and Asterix the Gaul. Then as one got older, and reading them more as an observer or onlooker, classics like Black Beauty and Treasure Island and Kidnapped, and The Black Arrow and John Buchan's The Thirty-Nine Steps, and of course Dickens' Oliver Twist and Great Expectations and Tale of Two Cities. And looking back, what struck me then and strikes me even now, it's the power of books, encouraging our imagination, experiencing the story, as if we were there ourselves, imagining oneself as being part of the Secret Seven or the Famous Five and going out onto a great sleuthing adventure, or sitting in my own World War I Sopwith camel plane ready to fly on patrol with Biggles and the team, or standing next to Lucy and Edmund with my bow drawn, or ready to ride into battle with the noble Lochiel of Cameron and experiencing the different emotions of the heroes and heroines, the excitement, the fears, the highs, the lows, the joy and the sadness. And even later on, when getting older, reading as an observer or onlooker, seeing how the lead characters behave and react in various situations, how they express themselves, how they cope and struggle, and all done through that safety of the aesthetic distance of reading another story, a fictional story. So what is bibliotherapy? Some people have called it therapeutic storytelling, for others book therapy, the use of reading fiction as a therapy, the use of fictional literature to help children and young people express themselves and be able to adapt to change, the use of fictional books to help children and young people become aware of and sensitive to others' feelings. The use of fictional works to help children and young people understand feelings and emotions. In fictional stories, children can identify with the book's lead characters and experience and identify with their feelings and emotions in the variety of situations that they find themselves in. And as the child reads and listens to the narrator, they form a bond with the lead characters, sharing vicariously with the characters' dilemmas and difficulties. And as the children read, they can reflect on their own situations and perhaps adapt some of the characters' coping strategies into their own life. And as I mentioned before, even if they are a little older and they're reading the book as an observer or an onlooker, they can still internalise what is going on. What is important, though, is that children, bereaved children and young people, need to be able to choose the book that is right for them, not to have one foisted on them or imposed on them. One that is appropriate for their own unique situation. What's relevant to her own story and his or own feelings. 
Bibliotherapy needs to be non-directive and children need to be left to extract whatever they need from the story. And there should always be a chance for children to discuss what he or she has read if they want to do that. It may not always be the case, but there should always be the chance for them to do that if they want. And if there is a discussion, then children's responses should be free of the bibliotherapist's analysis and questions. So what are the goals of bibliotherapy for bereaved children and young people? Well, it's to help bereaved children and young people understand and recognise all of their varied emotions and feelings after the loss of a close loved one. To help bereaved children and young people understand the struggles of both bereaved children and bereaved adults with regards to behaviours and feelings in the aftermath of a close loved one's loss. To help bereaved children and young people understand the concepts of death, dying, loss and grief and in particular in the age bandings and age appropriate ways. And to help bereaved children and young people with insights and information on these main issues of death, dying, loss and grief. I suppose the next question is what makes a bibliotherapist and who can be one? Well, in a way, anyone can be a bibliotherapist if they are in a role of supporting bereaved children and young people. Teachers, heads, school mentors, pastoral officers, and of course, counsellors and therapists and coaches and support workers or bereavement support group facilitators. As long as they are passionate about fiction and in particular children's fiction, as long as they understand how children read and react to fiction, as long as they understand the views and attitudes and feelings and emotions of bereaved children and young people at the different age band stages, as long as they can liaise effectively and compassionately with both teachers and parents around these issues, and as long as they can access regularly information about all the fictional books that encompass themes around death, dying, loss and grief that are available at present. And as long as they are prepared to put the hard work into to assess books on these relevant themes for their suitability to be included in their own recommendation list. For the aim, as I said before, is it is not about imposing a book or even actually um, giving a book straight away to a bereaved young person. It's about having a collection of as many books as possible on these themes in order to give a really wide choice for the bereaved children and young people to choose from. In other words, you have lots of these books on your shelf and you allow the children to browse through them. Yes, they might turn to you and say, do you know what this is about? And you would explain what it's about and why it might be a good read, but it's about allowing them to choose. So in this context, of bibliotherapy for bereaved children and people, how can these books be used? Well, first of all, the bereaved children and young people, they can read the book privately. They can browse through it, and once they've chosen a book that they think they like the look of, then they can go away and take that book away with them and read it privately. Or it could be, depending on the age, that they may want to listen to the book being read by you, the bibliotherapist. And so bereaved children and young people could read the book to or with the bibliotherapist. 
Bereaved children and young people can take the book away and read it privately and then come back with a possible follow-up chat or discussion with the bibliotherapist if that is what the bereaved child and young person wants. Or it could be that if we are dealing with a class or perhaps a support group for bereaved children and young people, then the book can be read as a class or support group reader. And certainly all of these books are to be included or should be included in a recommendation list from which children can choose. So how do we go about assessing books for the recommendation list for bereaved children and young people? Well, I would think it's got to be a good, clear storyline at first. In other words, it's got to be a book that's easy to read. And it certainly needs to have one narrator, either in the first person or the third person. Having more than one narrator can be quite confusing. And it's got to have lots of dialogue. Lots of dialogue between all the different heroes and heroines and lead characters in the book, because that is where you actually start to understand feelings and emotions. Having large chunks of pure narrative is perhaps a little boring and not very helpful. So lots of dialogue with good descriptive language, not too many large bits of narrative, and obviously clear settings, and to capture the imagination, a good interesting start to each chapter. And I would always think no more than about five lead characters. I know that obviously when you look back at The Secret Seven, there were seven characters, but five lead characters is about the right amount to get young people engaged in that particular story. So that's the general area of assessing a book. But for the bereavement and grief aspects, I would say that you've got to find clear examples of how the bereavement impacts on both adults and children in the family and in that social setting. Realistic examples, realistic descriptive examples of both adult and child struggles with the loss. And good descriptive examples of emotions and feelings contained in the dialogue. Realistic examples of any coping strategies. Clear information around bereavement and grief issues. And perhaps no overly happy family scenarios because it's not realistic to have that kind of situation in the book. I think as, as well as that, it is how the author presents the actual individual aspects of death and grief. In other words, how the announcement of perhaps a terminal illness or a death is actually done in the book and the actual moment of death, how it's described, how the actual bereavement is then told or reported to others and the emotional reactions of the bereaved children and young people and the emotional reactions of the bereaved adults in the aftermath of that loss. And perhaps also as well, if they deal with, in an appropriate way, the impact and effects of long-term grief. And how the author covers other issues such as the mistrust of adults, fear of death and strong feelings like guilt and anger. So that's how we would assess a book for inclusion in your recommendation list for bereaved children and young people, your bibliotherapy recommendation list. And after that, then, perhaps it's about classifying the books, classifying the books in their different age-appropriate groups or bandings, and perhaps classifying it depending on who died 
and the relationship to the deceased. You might perhaps classify them with a type of death, a, ter a death after a terminal illness, or in particular something specific like bereavement through suicide or bereavement through homicide. Whether it's religious or spiritual or secular, you could classify the books as whether death or an illness is dealt with as a major theme or a minor theme. Or it could be death of a pet. Or it could be a book that is particularly relevant to the expression of a certain emotion or behaviour. These are all useful classifications to have. And I think it's also important to remember that the responses and reactions of bereaved children and young people to individual books depend on each child or young person's cognitive competence, their word and language knowledge, their literary and reading ability, their imagination and creativity. Yes, it depends on their social background, their upbringing, but it also depends on their age. And that's why all of this has got to be in age-appropriate ways. We need to remember that a book can only be brought to life by how the child or young person reacts and responds to it. And each book awakens the reader to new areas of his or her own, own inner life. And no two children respond and react to a book in the same way. Bibliotherapy for bereaved children and young people is, as I said right at the start, non-directive. And not only is the bibliotherapist an advocate for the bereaved child or young person, but he or she is also their compassionate companion. So bibliotherapy is very much about accompanying the bereaved child or young person. So what I'm going to do for the rest of the podcast is to recommend my top 30, 35 individual books that might be useful for your own particular recommendation list if you decide to try and become a bibliotherapist. And we start off with a very popular favourite going back to 1963, Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. Wonderful little story about Charlotte the Spider and Wilbur the Pig and how their friendship develops and at the same time how Wilbur the Pig then grieves after Charlotte the Spider eventually dies. Very much about the cycle of life and death and the fact that it's okay to grieve and it's okay to reminisce. And you're talking about the age of five and six and upwards. And other examples around the cycle of nature and the cycle of life and death. Uh, 1982, The Fall of Freddy the Leaf by Leo Buscladje. And Waterbugs and Dragonflies, 1984, by Doris Stickney. Very good explaining death within the cycle of life and death, aged around five to seven years. And then probably one of the most classic books for helping bereaved children to understand grief is Badger's Parting Gifts, 1984, Susan Varley. And really good about talking about the bereaved is okay, that grief is ongoing, it's okay to cry, and it's also okay to remember and reminisce. It's a beautiful little book and beautifully illustrated, age five and upwards. After that, we go to a, a cartoon, a book called Fred, 1987, by Posey Simmons, who also illustrates it. And this is a story of, in the book, the fattest and laziest cat around. And 
it turns out that when it comes to his funeral, that he was loved and liked by many, both humans and cats. And this is a really, really nice illustrated cartoon type of hardback book about sharing feelings, the finality of death, and again, the importance of reminiscing and the importance of friendship, age seven and upwards. Something similar in 1988, Tigger and Friends by Dennis Hamley and illustrated by Meg Rutherford, 1988. Are two cats called Tigger and Thomas living together and obviously one of them dies and it's about death and grief and remembering and hope for the future. Polly's Puffin by Sarah Garland, 1988. Another nice book as well, well illustrated. It's a puffin book. And actually it's not on bereavement, but it's still on loss. And it's about the loss of a favorite toy and it deals specifically with the feeling of sadness. So again, five and upwards and a nice book specifically on the emotion and feeling of sadness. 1989, The Very Best of Friends by Margaret Wilde and illustrated by Julie Beavis. This is about Jesse and James, human beings owning a farm, and James' cat, William. And sadly, James dies early on in his life in middle age. And it is both around the impact of grief on adults and coping in death's aftermath. And how eventually that Jesse and William um, form a very, very firm friendship in the aftermath of James's death, age seven and upwards. 1996, When Dinosaurs Die, Laurie Krasny Brown. It's part story and part cartoon, so it's kind of part story and part informative. And this one specifically through a cartoon family addresses all of the difficult questions that bereaved young children pose to adults. And it also addresses the fears of young children in the aftermath of bereavement in a most comforting way. Again, age five and upwards. And one of my favorite books called Gentle Willow by Joyce C. Mills. This is from 2004. And this book actually is for children who've either got a terminal illness themselves or somebody in their family or a friend has a terminal illness. And this is about shock and disbelief in the aftermath of a terminal diagnosis. It's about dying and death and it handles anger and sadness in a really, really good way. And it's about a kind tree and all of her friends in the forest. Really, really super little book. And of course, one of children's great writers at the Mopum, Michael Rosen. And this is Michael Rosen's sad book. That's the title, Michael Rosen's sad book. And it's illustrated by the really excellent Quentin Blake, 2004. It's an excellent book around sadness after the death of a man's son. And actually, although it is a fictional story, it is actually based on Michael Rosen's own love himself. How sadness can affect people and how it can make them behave in all sorts of different ways and the different ways that it can trouble people. Age five and upwards. Another of my favourites, that wonderful cat Mog by Judith Kerr, and she illustrates this as well. And this is the last book in the series, Goodbye Mog in 2007. 
a beautiful and gentle story of the death of a very, very much-loved cat, Mog, lovable Mog, and how he eventually, after death, watches on as his family grieves, both the adults and the children. And again, really good way of explaining the cycle of life and also the importance of remembering and reminiscing, age five and upwards. And then a rather unique book called Duck, Death and the Tulip by Wolf Erlbrook in 2007. A rather unique and touching work. And it is the friendship between duck and death. And eventually the duck dies. And it's a very realistic and gentle um, account of death and dying. Wonderfully illustrated by the author himself. A little bit... Not so much controversial. Some people will like it, some won't. But certainly well worth a look at to see if it might fit in your recommendation list. Are You Sad Little Bear by Rachel Rivett from 2009. A lovely book about learning how to say goodbye. It's about the death of Grandmother Bear and how Little Bear and Mother Bear actually honours her passing. A gentle account of death and the cycle of life. Saying Goodbye to Hair from 2012 by Carol Lee, illustrated by Donna Bell. Again, beautifully illustrated. All of these books are beautifully illustrated and something that both the bibliotherapist and the bereaved child can actually look through together. This one is about death and dying and the cycle of life, about the young rabbit and his best friend Hare, very, very thoughtful story around the cycle of life and the emotions and feelings and the funeral are extremely well handled. Age five and upwards. Rabbit in Rabbit Rabbitiness. I'll better get my words around that. Rabbitiness by Joe Emson, who also illustrated the book from 2012. Another cycle of life. Rabbit dies, leaving all of his friends desolate about dealing with death and loss, it also celebrates individuality and remembering and reminiscing. The Memory Tree by Britta Teckenthrup, 2013, illustrated by Britta as well, about the death of Fox and the deaths of Fox's impact on his friends who are all left behind celebrating the life of a loved one who dies and the importance of memories age five and upwards and then two very specific books which have been brought out more recently over the last few years specifically around bereavement by suicide luna's red hat by emmy smith s-m-i-d 2015 beautifully illustrated book to help children understand around the very complex bereavement, suicide, and the grief that follows, and the impact on children and the other adults in the family and uh, the social group. There's some excellent good visual pictures that really do help explain the feelings in the aftermath of such a loss. And running alongside that, I would also recommend a newer book, 2017, Rafi's Red Racing Car by Louise Moyer. And again, it's a very special and wonderful book that helps to explain suicide and grief to young children age five and upwards. Again, another excellent use of 
pictures and illustrations to explain the different emotions and feelings that both bereaved children and adults will experience in the aftermath of a suicide. The Memory String by Eve Bunting and Ted Rand, 2000. And after the death of a mother, Laura's memory string of pearls. Each button and each pearl has a memory. And it's all about this memory string. It's about remembering and reminiscing and coping with loss and dealing perhaps in this particular case with a new stepmother. Then we actually are going up to teenagers now, an older group. And these are some of my recommendations. A Summer to Die by Lewis Lowry from 1977 about Meg and Molly, teenage sisters, and Molly dies after a terminal illness. And it's a very moving and insightful book that explores the complex emotions of grief that a young girl faces after the death of somebody close to them, particularly mixed in with the usual teenage struggles. Of course, the renowned Bridge to Terabithia, 1977, by Catherine Paterson, and I'd be surprised if you haven't seen the film. The story of two 12-year-olds, Jess and Leslie, who find each other in school, they're both being bullied at the time, and they both cement a really strong friendship by creating this fantasy world, Terabithia. And then it's around the boy's grief after the death of the girl and the grief mixed in with puberty and the struggle of a boy's grief. The book is great, really, really good book. And then one of our lead teenage writers, Judy Bloom, Tiger Eyes, 1981. And this one is dealing with grief in the aftermath of a violent death, the trauma of a violent death uh, that Davy, uh, the young female lead, a teenager, her father owns a grocer's shop and is shot during an armed robbery in his grocer's shop. And so it is around dealing with the trauma of violent death, the grief and the aftermath of that, the way that the family disintegrates, the lack of family support, the need to talk about feelings and about trust. This is for age 12 and upwards. Lanky Longlegs, Karen Lanson, 1982, translated from the Norwegian, about a young girl called Di, whose small brother Mike is dying of a terminal illness through the book and eventually dies. And again, an explore about the pain and anguish of a teenage girl in the midst of a loving family. And a very moving account of a young girl's struggle with grief mixed in with teenage puberty. 1990, Sue Mayfield, I Carried You on Eagle's Wings, The Terminal Illness of a Young Boy's Mother, Teenage Boy's Mother, Ministering to His Dying Mother, Doubts Expressed Because of His Religious Views, etc., Age 10 and Upwards. Sharon Draper, Tears of a Tiger, 1996. Teenage Andy driving a car that crashed and killed his best friend and the struggle with guilt that he has throughout the book which eventually sadly ends with his own suicide and then the reactions of both the school and the family in the aftermath of his suicide as well. Sarah Desson 2004 
the excellent The Truth About Forever, an excellent book around the teenager Macy struggling with her dad's death and her mother's inability to talk about it. And death and grief in its very rawest form, guilt and remembering in life. And I really do recommend that for teenagers struggling with the death of a loved one. 2009, If I Stay by Gail Foreman. 17-year-old Mia survives a car crash that kills her parents and brother. And the whole book is narrated by Mia while she's in a coma. And it's the story of love and family and loss and the choices that are made in the aftermath. The rather quirky Annabelle Pitcher book from 2011, My Sister Lives on the Mantelpiece. A very powerful work, an emotional roller coaster of a story around 10 year old Jamie's tragic death of a sister Rose. And five years down the line, the family are still struggling and not able to talk to each other, and no one answering Jamie's questions. 2014, The Year of the Rat by Claire Furness. Really brilliant novel around Pearl, whose mother dies giving birth to Pearl's half sister Rose. It's a very gripping and at times humorous, at times painful and very moving book and an excellent exploration of Pearl's struggles with grief and in particular anger. Hayley Long, The Nearest Faraway Place, 2017. Griff and Dylan are two teenage brothers and in a car crash their parents are killed outright and they stay with a loving aunt and uncle in Wales but there's a real twist at the end and this is a really good teenage book around love, loss, grief and courage and heartbreak. Eric Lindstrom, A Tragic Kind of Wonderful, 2017, a very insightful and honest book around teenage Mel and the death of her brother, the loss of close friendships and struggling to cope with a, a, bipolar, a bipolar diagnosis at the same time and the struggle with emotions and feelings, both from her bipolar condition and the grief in the aftermath of her brother. And then there are one or two, what I would call classic books that are always, always, I think quite useful actually to read with bereaved children, young people, depending on the age. The first is the classic Little Match Girl by Hans Christian Andersen about death, and remembering and reminiscing in the depths of sadness. And if you can find the 1987 version, illustrated by Rachel Isadora, it's a beautiful book, both to look at, to read, and to listen to. And then, of course, the classic from across the border, Greyfriars Bobby by Eleanor Atkinson, 1940. And the relationship between a dog and his master, and loyalty, and indeed, bereavement and then grief in the aftermath. And finally, Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling. And these are really books. My old supervisor, Dr. Kathy Hunt, who was a specialist in working with bereaved children and young people, worked with one particular 11-year-old who was bereaved, who was in exactly the same situation as Harry Potter. He'd lost his parents in a car crash, and he was staying with family that he didn't really like and didn't particularly get on with. And his way of understanding and, and working with Cathy, his way of understanding was through reading the Harry Potter books. It's about not belonging, unknown parents, nightmares around the parents' death. And indeed, 
if we look at one of the books, which is, I think, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and if we see the film, the very, very excellent way that the death of Cedric Diggory is dealt with at the end of that particular film is really a, a good example um, to helping children and young people come to terms with loss. So these are just some of the recommendations for a reading list, starting from those for very young bereaved children and going on to some of the teenage books. And it's about them reading those books and identifying with the lead characters and identifying with their struggles. It's not just about triumphs and the high spots. It's about identifying with struggles and seeing some of their coping strategies. If you are interested and you want to contact me through LinkedIn or through my email, neil at paradigmcampbell.co.uk then I can send you the list of these book recommendations and probably with a few more added to it. So there we have it, bibliotherapy for bereaved children and young people. Hopefully I will see you again or meet you again or be talking to you again in the third podcast which will be around bereavement and the midlife orphan. In other words when somebody in their 30s and 40s and 50s suffer the death of a second parent and the accumulated losses that that means alongside the actual loss of their close loved one. So until then, goodbye.